Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. We are glad you are tuning in. As a church, we are currently in the season of Lent. This is a 40-day period of fasting, prayer, and reflection as we prepare to celebrate resurrection. During this time, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. What you are about to hear is a sermon about the story of Jesus, given live at one of our gatherings in Phoenix. We hope it reminds you that God loves you, that your life is meaningful, and that you are called to love others. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, please reach out to us at info at desertcitychurch.com. We are starting a new series today, uh, going through the Gospel of Mark, and we are in a season uh, in the the church global, the church historic calendar called Lent, uh, as we prepare for uh, Easter. And uh, we don't really practice that here at Desert City. Um, We have different people that might do some different special things uh, for Lent, um, and, uh, and we think that's great if, if that's uh, a way that you connect with God. Um, but Easter for us is a big deal. And, uh, and as we move towards Easter, we want this to be a 40-day um, season where we are turning our minds to God. Um, we are prioritizing around uh, God's presence in our life. And, and so we're going to be looking through the Gospel of Mark over the next uh, six or seven weeks. And we have a... Uh, a bookmark uh, for you. We'd love for you to read through this gospel. It's only 16 chapters, and uh, you can grab a bookmark today and just join us as we're all kind of reading through the same scripture together. Um, but I want to open today in Mark chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles uh, or your iPhone Bible app, or it'll be on the screen behind me, uh, let's start with Mark 1, verse 1. Here are the words. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God. That's how Mark opens his gospel, this concise yet powerful statement. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I really like uh, Mark. Uh, There are four gospel accounts, stories of the life of Jesus. Mark is the shortest. It's the most concise. It's often kind of forgotten about, like people really kind of flock to Luke or John. Um, But the more I've spent time in Mark, the more I've really appreciated uh, Mark's writing style. And we live in this culture that, um, if you're like me, my attention span is like shrinking. Um, And I used to be able to sit down and just read for hours, and now I'm like, I can't do that. I don't know if it's social media or what. But, But Mark, I feel like, is just made for our culture because he gives us these glimpses and stories of Jesus's life and who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And so I think we're going to really enjoy going through Mark. Um, you ask who Mark is. Uh, Mark, uh, most, most people that, that study these things pretty much agree that Mark is really this man named John Mark. And he was in the early church. And John Mark, we know, kind of reading from like Acts and some of the letters that were written, uh, was the cousin of Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was a traveling companion with Paul. Uh, and they have this disagreement, and Barnabas and Paul split ways at one point. It was like kind of scandalous, like one of the first big disagreements in the early church. They broke, they broke ways and went separate ways over John Mark, because John Mark uh, had kind of flaked out on Paul a few times. And so the, one of the things we know about John Mark was he was the center of this controversy between Paul and Barnabas. They had this disagreement because of John Mark. And then we find out later in life, like Paul and John Mark have this reconciliation, and and John Mark is with Paul, and and later in life when he's in prison, at one point Paul asks for him. And so we see like there's this reconciliation between the two of them. Uh, We also know about John Mark because um, there's a story in Acts, in Acts chapter 12, when Peter, uh, this is after the resurrection, when uh, after uh, the day of Pentecost, and the church is starting to kind of expand, and it's under this great persecution, Peter is arrested, 
and he's in prison, and he's about to stand trial and, uh, before Herod. And the day before his trial in prison, he's shackled to two uh, guards. An angel of the Lord comes in and uh, miraculously helps him get out of prison. Um, the, the, the scene, if you read it in Acts chapter 12, is like something off the Matrix, like, except for like, having a cell phone where he's talking. It's like an angel that's like, helped guiding him through this prison. It's wild. Um, but Peter gets out of prison. He goes into the streets, and he goes to a house um, where the early church is gathered, and they're praying for him. And the house is a woman named Mary who owns the house, and she has a son named John Mark. And so one of the first glimpses we get of this Mark is when Peter escapes from prison, he goes to, to Mary's house, and Mark is there. And they start this relationship. And I think it's important because John, or John Mark and Peter um, end up becoming good companions, and when Mark starts to tell the story of Jesus, what he's telling us is Peter's story. You might think that this is actually the gospel of Peter. And when you read it, what you find is there's, there's a language here that's similar to some of Peter's sermons in the book of Acts and some of Peter's writings. The language is very similar. Um, Peter's mentioned uh, in this story more than any other gospel. And if you know Peter, he didn't mind talking about himself. Um, <laughs> But, but you might think that, that this is the gospel of Mark, but it, he's retelling Peter's story. And so this is him giving this account of, of Peter, who was one of the inner three that was very close to Jesus. And as Mark wrote, he wrote with Peter's words. So something just to think about as we go through uh, this gospel. Um, the other thing about Mark is, as he's very concise, he skips over Christmas. So if you like Christmas, this is like Scrooge McDuck. Of, he doesn't want... He just skips the Christmas story. Um, and, uh, and then he briefly hits on, like, Jesus' baptism and temptation, temptation in the desert, uh, the calling of the first disciples, and a couple of healings. And that's all in, like, the first chapter. And so if you start reading Mark, what you'll find is, like, by chapter 2, you're like, wow, a lot has happened already because Mark is writing so quickly about the life of Jesus. And what we find is that Mark's trying to get to the last week of Jesus' life, the passion. The passion makes up something like 45% of this book. So there's a lot of information there, a lot of background information. Um, but today I want to start in chapter 2. Because in chapter 2 is when some of Jesus' really interesting ministry starts. And there are these five kind of different stories that take place in Mark chapter 2 that are kind of called like the controversial narratives or the, the conflict narratives. And Jesus is interacting with Pharisees. Super fun. And in these stories, Mark's doing two things. One, he's talking about the identity of Jesus, what Jesus is claiming about himself, and two, the authority of Jesus. And I think it's really important for us to just go through these stories and to reflect. And I, I want to pick the second of these five stories, and it's found in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So just can read with me. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. And a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them as he walked along. And he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Seems like an innocent enough story, right? This uh, man named Levi is this tax collector. Jesus is walking by this lake, calls him. And he comes. Well, the lake that we know is the Sea of Galilee. What's really interesting about this lake is my mom is there right now. I'm not kidding. 
She's in the Holy Lands right now, and I just saw a photo that was posted, them with this group looking out over the Sea of Galilee. Um, so much of Jesus' life takes place in this town called Capernaum. If you want to mispronounce it correctly, you can call it Capernaum. Uh, it is, uh, it's a village on like the north side of this lake, and it's a fishing village. And if you were a fisherman, this, would, this is the life. I mean, you just, you live off the lake, you fish for a living, um, and there are all these little villages around this lake, but Jesus' home was in Capernaum. And so, so much of the stories of his life happen around this little town. And at this lake, what we'll find in Mark is there's a lot of great stories that happen. Um, but at this lake, uh, they're, they're kind of in like this uh, crossroads of these big empires. Like you have Rome to the east, you have Persia, or Rome to the west, Persia to the east. Uh, most of Egypt's been conquered, but that's to the south. And they all kind of intersect through this highway area that's near Capernaum. And so what would happen, death and taxes, you know, those are just the two common things in history. Um, if you were traveling through Capernaum, there was a toll booth. There was this tax collector that if you were traveling would take a toll from you. You couldn't get through there without paying taxes. Um, and, and we also know that in these taxes, if you wanted to get uh, some of the, uh, the, the fish out of the lake and go sell it and go trade it, you'd have to pass through this toll booth, which meant if you were paying taxes, you'd have to you know, go through this toll booth, pay the taxes, pay the toll to travel, and, uh, and then go on your way, very similar to like what we might find today. So if you're a tax collector, um, your job isn't very fun. Nobody likes you. Um, I was in downtown Phoenix this week for a meeting down at Roosevelt Community Church, a prayer meeting with a bunch of pastors, and uh, there's not a lot of parking uh, down by this church, and so I parked out on the street, kind of by Matt's Big Breakfast, if you know the area, and there was a, there was a toll, like you had to pay to park, and I remember like getting out of my car and realizing I don't have any change on me, um, my kids still all the change out of my car like every week, so I never have change on me. And so then I went to go use like my, my card to put it in, and it always feels like kind of sketch. And so like I'm trying to figure out how to like use my card to pay for $1.50 of parking. And one of the, the lot attendants come up and I'm like, oh, hey, hey whoa. And I'm like, hey, I, I haven't paid yet. That's why this, this thing's you know, flashing red. And he goes, oh, I know, I know. And I'm like, I, I'm trying to figure this out so I can just pay with my card. And he goes, no, that's fine. He goes, hey, hey, hold on, before you do that, and he pulls out this bag of quarters and he goes, let me pay for you. And I'm like, you want to pay for me? And he goes, yeah, let me pay for you. And I'm like, why, would, why do you want to pay for me? Like, usually I feel like you, the whole city's like nickel and diming us. You know, like, and he, he, he goes, that's just the thing. He goes, man, everybody just, there's so much hate towards me with my job. And he's like, I just wanted to have a good day and bless some people. And so I, he's like, I would love to just to pay for your parking. And I was like, that's amazing. But I was thinking, like, this is one of those jobs, right? Like, the, like Nobody likes the, the parking lot attendant. Like, you're like, oh, here he comes. He's going to find us, or he's going to, you know, give us a $25 ticket. That So, like, it, like, those are one of those jobs that, you know, you're just not super popular. And he's just a parking lot attendant. Now, now, a tax collector in this culture, with all of this going on, with, like, the tolls for the roads and the tolls for the fish, uh, he was absolutely despised by his community. Because he wasn't just taking taxes for the local government. He was taking taxes for Herod Antipas, who the Jewish people had said, this is kind of the puppet king that Rome had set up. And so this guy has kind of like sold out to the empire, to those who had conquered us. And so there's this uh, understanding of these tax collectors in this community. They were kind of like pariahs. They weren't allowed to be, uh, to be witnesses in court. 
Uh, they, they were kind of like kicked out of the community. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. People didn't like you if you were a tax collector. It was like you, you had sold out to this foreign power. And Jesus, walking along the road, runs in to Levi, this tax collector, and he says, you know what? I think that you can be my disciple. And what we find is that Levi, you know what? Another name for Levi is Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus. He's a tax collector, which is really interesting because you know who the rest of the disciples are? They're fishermen. They probably knew Matthew well. Matthew had probably ripped them off a few times, right? Matthew, they, they probably were like, I, I could just imagine Peter being like, oh, I, like, I hate that guy. Are you kidding? Like, he's on our team now, like, going to the campfire. They're hanging out, and they're like, who brought this guy here? Jesus brings Levi into the conversation. He says, I think that you could be my disciple, and I want you to join this group of people who can't stand you, and we're going to be in community together, and we're going to be on mission together. And there's something interesting when Jesus says, come and follow me. It says that Levi got up and he followed him. He got up, stands up and follows him. This idea of getting up is is this word that Mark kind of places in all these stories. There's a Greek word for it, um, but it's this idea of arising, to rise up. The same phrase is used in the story before this about when Jesus heals this paralytic who, who can't The guy can't walk. They lower him through the roof. Jesus heals him, and he gets up. It's the same phrase. And when Mark starts to talk about what Jesus does in this world, when he conquers death, when he rises up, he uses the same phrase that he got up. He arises. Uh, Some of the meaning for this is that that they were given new life, that they were born again, that they were raised up. And what Jesus is doing in this story, what Jesus is doing in this world, is that Jesus is taking all of us, coming into our stories, and raising us up to new life. And here for Matthew, this guy that was an outcast, he raises him up. He offers him this new life, this new identity, this new way of living. This is what Jesus does. And it's not dependent on Matthew, on Levi, on Matthew's identity, on who he is, on what he's done. It's all about who Jesus is. And he sees something in him, and he says, come follow me, and he raises him up. And the story continues. It goes on and says that while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, so Levi throws this party for him. It says, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. And there were many who followed him, and when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So here's where this conflict comes in. So this guy Levi, also called Matthew, ends up throwing this party, inviting Jesus to his house. The disciples come to, and all of a sudden they find themselves, uh, they find themselves around some questionable characters. And, and then it kind of tips us off that these questionable characters have been kind of gravitating towards Jesus and his message. And they're all together, and, and they're, they're talking about kind of this, this new thing that, that God is doing. And those who are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, those that are observing the law, um, have a problem with it. And I think I probably would have a problem with it, too. 
Like, for them, they're, they're, they're trying so hard to follow the law and to be righteous and doing all these things the right way so that God would be happy. And then there's this whole other group that's talking about what God's doing, and they're like the, the sellouts, right? The tax collectors, the sinners. There's this issue that the Pharisees have. And here's how Jesus responds. He hears them talking because he's Jesus. I mean, I can't imagine if, like, he actually heard them talking or if it's like, ah, man, like, he heard that? Come on. But he hears them talking, and it says, he says to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. They're having a meal. There's this feast. And it's people from questionable backgrounds that are there with the disciples, and they're all getting together. The Pharisees have an issue. Jesus says, do you you realize what is going on here? I have come for these people who have been outcast from society, who who are feeling broken. These people who have been called sinners are invited to my table, to the table. We find that throughout Jesus' life, there's these kind of this ministry of the meal, this table where he's, he's having these parties with people. And all sorts of people are invited to this table. In fact, in the Old Testament, the idea of this feast was sometimes this kind of parable of what the kingdom of God would be like. And as Jesus starts to talk about the kingdom and show us the ways of the kingdom, he uses this kind of ministry of the meal where all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds are invited to the meal. In the presence of Jesus, they're raised to life. And this table is a place of partying for Jesus. The feast that he's throwing, a couple things about this table, and that we'll find as we read through Mark, is when you think about this table that that Jesus is sitting at, this feast that he's throwing with all these sinners, the hard thing for the Pharisees, and I think sometimes the hard thing for us as good church people, is we can't determine who gets to eat at the table. God does. We don't get to determine who eats at the table. And what we find in the life of Jesus is there's always surprises at this table. The tax collectors, the sinners, woman who anoints Jesus' hair or feet with oil, washes it with her hair. We find story after story of these people that we would probably never invite to our table, and yet they're invited to the table of Jesus. We don't determine who gets to to be there. God does. And I think that what that does is it, it, it helps us realize that humans are created in the image of God. They are loved by God, and they are worth redeeming. And as we consider this ministry of the table of Jesus, what we should say is, how do we start to view people through the eyes of Jesus? Because he sees things in people that we don't necessarily see. He sees things in people that he's willing to give his life for. Whether it's this tax collector or others that we run into in the gospel. God is the one who sends the invite. We don't determine who is at the table. The second thing is, I think it's important to know that because we can't afford a seat at the table. We can't afford it. We're there because we've been invited. We're there because of grace. Our lives have been purchased. 
there was a, uh, a gala dinner that Marcy and I got to go to um, two years back that the Poolies invited us to. I think Grant's dad had tickets and said, you guys want to go? And it was this fundraiser uh, working with um, um, some, some pretty amazing ministries happening in Africa. And we were excited to go and uh, to be invited. We were honored to be at, the, at that meal. Um, but what was a really fun surprise is I got to meet Bob Goff. And, uh, and I remember like going, and my wife and I uh, were, were there. We actually met Bob Goff at Disneyland one time, which was like super cool. Um, but when we saw Bob Goff, we started talking to him, and he was like, Jared, and he, he like acts like he knows you. And we had this conversation, and it was this, this amazing blessing and this amazing gift to like meet someone who's like your hero because we were invited to the table. Have you ever been invited to something where someone else purchased your ticket? This life that we have with Christ is something that we can't afford. We don't get to be there because of our own merit, because of our own righteousness, because of our own upbringing. We get to sit at Jesus' table because he purchased a ticket for us. This is grace. Life with Christ is grace. We don't determine who gets there. God does that. And the fact that we are there is because we've been given something that is significant. Grace from our God. Uh, There's a painting about this scene with St. Matthew being called that Caravaggio paints. I don't know if you can really see it. Um, What I like about it, it's hard to see on the screen, but you can actually see the light coming in. Like St. Peter, St. Peter, St. Matthew, Levi is right here. And, uh, and the light's coming through, and it's hitting him on the face. And I think what is, I mean, absolutely beautiful about this picture is, like, light coming into darkness. And, uh, and Matthew's eyes are, like, shock. Like, I can't believe I would be called out by Jesus to come follow him. Um, it's, a, it's a painting. If you get a chance to maybe Google it, you can look at it on your phone. Um, but it is, it's hung at the St. Luigi, uh, this church in Rome. And the current pope, uh, Pope Francis, uh, used to go and, and see this this painting of uh, the calling of Levi by Caravaggio. And um, he would say that he would go and he would, just, he would just look at this painting and it would just bring tears to his eyes as he would see this light coming into the darkness and Matthew's reaction to the light kind of on his face of just shock and surprise. And the Pope would say this, this is me talking about Matthew, a sinner on whom the Lord has turned his gaze. This is me, a sinner, on whom the Lord has turned his gaze. We get to be at the table because of this gift of God's love. That God would turn his gaze towards us. In the midst of all the things that are wrong about us, in the midst of all the things that are broken, in the midst of all the things that we're trying to get right, God has turned his gaze to us. This is a gift. Life with Christ. And the third thing is that The table is abundant. This is a place of grace. And there's abundant grace here. God's love is infinite. It never runs out. He's pouring it into us, his church, this abundance of his grace. And he invites us to this table where the grace doesn't run out. More and more grace. And it's something that our world needs desperately. The grace of God that comes from the cross. And Jesus says, it's the sick that need the doctor. I am here for those who are sick. We think about like a doctor, our kids, you know, sick all the time, got coronavirus going around, all sorts of scary stuff right now, right? Um, 
it would be crazy if when our kids are sick, we went to the doctor, and the doctor was like, oh, I don't want to see your kids. And you'd be like, well, why don't you want to see your kids? You'd be like, well, I don't see sick kids. I only see healthy people. You'd be like, well, what are we doing here? Like, what, why, are you a do- why are you a doctor if you're not helping, like, fix and solve these problems? A doctor exists to fix and solve problems of, of sickness, helping people get healthy. It would be crazy if the doctor would just turn people away because they were sick. That's not what doctors do. Doctors meet with you. They figure out what your problems are. They figure out how to get you help. Uh, I was having dinner last week with an eye doctor. And some of you know my eye issues. I've got uh, these things called surfer's eye, where it's like scar tissue that's been built up around my eye. My eyes are always red, and so it looks like I'm always not sleeping well. Let's say that. And, uh, and there are these things that are on my eye that they're, they're kind of this cosmetic thing. Lots of people in Phoenix get them. Um, but mine are, are getting so bad that they're going to like warp my cornea. So at some point, I have to go in and get operated on. And I've been putting off that surgery for a couple years now. Some of you know that. And I'm, you know how I, I'm terrified of surgery. Uh, I'm terrified of needles and knives. And I, I'm afraid like I'll never see again if I go into the surgery. And so, um, but I had a chance to like, I, I'm like, oh, this, this is a, an eye doctor. And do you know what happens when you have issues like me with my eyes and I sit across an eye doctor? There was no shame in my problem. I wasn't like, oh my goodness, I can't make eye contact with him because he's going to be like, what is wrong with that guy's eyes? <laughs> the first thing I thought was, oh, you're an eye doctor. Um, look into my eyes. Look what's going on here. Like, <laughs> I need help. Like, you, like, what do you think about this? And like, who should I talk to? And like, what you know, surgeons would you recommend? And and there was this like, all of I have all of these questions that I want help with. And I think that's the same as what it is with Jesus. We don't come to him with all of our problems and say, I'm ashamed to bring this in front of you. I'm afraid that you would see these things about me. Because Jesus is here for the sick. His purpose is to come and to meet us in the midst of our mess. In the same way we we sit with Jesus, we say, gaze into my eyes. I have so many questions. I need help. Can you help me? And the story of Jesus at this table in Mark chapter 2 is that. He's with the tax collectors. He's with the sinners. He's with those that everyone else has just kind of turned their back on and shunned. And he says, I am here to be with the sick as a doctor would be. And today as we start this journey through Mark, as we journey to the cross, as we journey to resurrection, we're going to spend some time just sitting with Jesus. Say, Lord, these are the things that I just feel sick with. These are the things that I'm ashamed of. These are the things that I have so many questions about. Can you help me? Can you help me? We're going to spend some time today with prayer and reflection and communion. And we just want to create space for you to meet with Jesus and say, Lord, would you help me? How's going to come back up, come up and lead us through communion? But let me pray real quick. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, for this story that took place 2,000 years ago, but takes place every single day in our lives, where your grace is sufficient for us. We're like a doctor listening to someone who is sick. Lord, you, you hear our story. You hear the things that we are ashamed of. 
you help us. You raise us up to new life. And we need that. So Lord, we just give you this time right now and ask you to speak to us, to move in our hearts, to meet us with your grace, and to raise us up. Amen.